0: Hey everyone, this is Chad Harms, the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about how people in church should treat each other. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to make one announcement and ask for one favor. First, I want to tell you about our VBS. Every year, our VBS reaches and impacts a lot of kids. This year, it will be July 15th through 19th. And if you have kids in our area, Please head to wilsonville.church VBS. There you can learn all of the details you'll need and you can register. You definitely won't regret having your child attend, I promise. The favor I want to ask is simple. If you find this podcast valuable, it would be great if you left us a rating and review. I know I've said this before, but leaving ratings and reviews helps this content be heard by more people i know it sounds like a long shot but helping more people hear this might change a life think about it i mean taking a minute to type a few words about how you've been impacted could literally impact another person for eternity so please do that like i said if you've been impacted by this podcast thanks again for taking time to listen i really do hope this sermon will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of god well
1: uh, my assignment uh, today is to preach from romans chapter 15 verses 1 through 7 and uh, it's part of this ongoing one another series that uh, chad and my son matt and now i get to be a part of and um, as i was preparing for today's sermon i went to the text and did a thorough analysis of, of the text and determined that the gist of the passage is about putting other people first. And so at that point, I did what every self-respecting advanced level researcher does. I Googled it, (laughs) living for others. And you would be amazed at the things that come right up on the top of the Google list when you put in living for others. The first was a piece called The Power of Living for Others. It was written by a professional woman in her forties. And it was the top hit because it's uh, fairly recent. It's uh, in uh, Inspire magazine. And uh, so here's a woman who has reached the pinnacle of her professional career. She's well-educated. She's a successful wife and mother. And it dawned on her when she was 42 years old that something was missing in her life. After achieving everything that she wanted to achieve, she still realized that she was missing a sense of purpose. And so she went on this quest to find meaning in her life and discovered that meaning is best found by putting other people first. Go figure. Uh, Interestingly, the second Google entry was four reasons to stop living for other people. Now, this took a different approach altogether. Uh, This article was talking about the liabilities of living your life by other people's expectations. And that's not good to do, according to this article, because you're basically reduced to a quivering mass of other people's expectations. So that's what that article is talking about. The next link, and this is the last one I'll talk about, but the third Google link about living for others took me to a TED talk titled, Why Living for Others is the Best Way to Live for Yourself. And this piece, uh, the introductory text says, if you're going to take advice from anyone on living a happier life, it might as well be from a man who's been called the happiest man in the world. I thought perhaps they were talking about Jesus, but no. This is a trained biochemist-turned-Buddhist monk, Mathieu Ricard, who says that one of the best ways to make decisions in life is to view everything through an altruistic lens. Well, what are we to make of all of this Google wisdom? Namely this. The world struggles to understand what living for others is all about it doesn't make sense really and in order for us to make sense of it we either have to vilify it as something that reduces us to the sum of other people's expectations or becomes this quest for personal fulfillment. But are those the only two choices we have when it comes to living for others? Well of course not. I I wouldn't pose the question if if it were the case. Actually Romans chapter 15 verses one through seven, give us a much better reason to live for other people. And I'd like to read the text and then we'll spend some time talking about it. Does that sound good? Let's do something a little different today. This requires um, audience participation, but it doesn't require much. There's no risk involved, really. If you're able to stand, in respect to God's Word, as I read it and as you read it there on the screen, let's stand together as we read Romans 15, 1 through 7. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, rather than pleasing others or living uh, for other people to find some kind of self-fulfillment, what we find in this text is that putting others first is an outgrowth of our reborn nature as followers of Jesus Christ. And in this text, we see three reasons why that's the case. Why living for other people arises out of our reborn nature as followers of Jesus. What we see, first of all, is that when we put others above ourselves, we imitate Christ. That's what this text says, right? Paul immediately appeals to Jesus. Now, what he's saying in Romans 15, of course is built upon what he said in Romans 14. And Matt preached on that last week. And the big challenge of Romans 14 was Christians trying to figure out how to live with other Christians when their convictions differ about various things. So some people think it's okay to eat meat, even if it's been bought in the marketplace and possibly sacrificed to an idol. Other Christians felt like you couldn't do that at all. They had to distance themselves from that. Some people held up certain days of the year as holy and and worthy of honoring. Others didn't think that way at all. And uh, so how do we live among each other? How do we navigate that space when it comes to non-essential issues about which people still have strong opinions? And Paul was saying we have to act in love. So that's one way of living for others, but now Paul takes that to the next level in Romans 15 and he teases that out to be a way of life for all of us in every facet of life, not just dealing with Christians over disputed issues. Paul says that putting others above ourselves is exactly what Jesus did when he came into this world. Verse three says, "The insults of those who insult you have fallen on me." It's a really interesting quote. He takes this from psalm sixty nine and uh, the phrase just before it is, uh, The zeal for your house has consumed me,' which is the text that the gospel writers use to describe jesus' zeal when he cleansed the temple uh, it's a It's a fascinating Uh, place from which Paul would take a reference to Jesus not serving himself but serving others. F.F. Bruce in his commentary on Romans says that Christ did not assert his rights he put the interests of others before his own. Uh, Bruce goes on to say that that um, had Jesus lived for himself his life would have been so much easier. Because he wouldn't have been putting himself out to defend. What's interesting is that when he cleansed the temple, he was actually cleansing the court of the Gentiles. That's where the marketplace was set up. Jesus, in an indirect way, was welcoming the Gentiles and defending the the cause of those who weren't necessarily Jews. In other words, most of us in this room, uh, he was clearing that place of the temple and he was putting himself at risk to do so. I think Paul offers a great commentary on this in another place. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3-8. through 8. There, the Apostle Paul says, "...do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another..." And when we, as followers of Jesus Christ, put other people first, we are following the example of Jesus. We become imitators of Jesus. So, I have to say, that's so much easier said than done. Okay, let's just pause and say that. Let's admit that we can theorize about this all day long, but it really gets tough when we start trying to put other people first because our instincts take us in the opposite direction right okay i mean let's let's just take the pressure off ourselves for a second and look at the disciples think of james and john those brothers who came from an affluent fishing family here they they were called by Jesus. They left their father with his servants, the hired hands, and they became these itinerant preachers along with Jesus, this rising star, this messianic hope. And here they they move out, but they, they grew up in privileged circumstances. Even later, when Jesus was, was being tried by the high priest, John was able to get in because of his status, his influence. He was able to to, to move into places in the court where others would not have been uh, able to access, and um, and and so uh, here they they are named. Jesus gives them this nickname, Boanerges. That wasn't a flattering name. It meant sons of thunder, and they earned that name. Now, Jesus had sent them out two by two, and he had given them power to cast out demons and to heal people. And they had gone out, the disciples did, and they began doing this. And pretty soon, uh, as you can well imagine, it'd feel pretty cool to have the power to cast out demons and heal people, wouldn't it? Well, so then in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, it says that Jesus... Resolutely set his face for Jerusalem. So now Jesus and his disciples are on their way to Jerusalem. They're up in Galilee and they had to make their way through Samaria. It's the quickest way to get from Galilee to to Jerusalem. And there's a main road that goes through that way, but they were passing through one of the Samaritan villages when the Samaritans learned that they were Jews and that they were on their way to Jerusalem. And the Samaritans aren't fans of Jews, just as the Jews weren't fans of Samaritans. And so they did not show them hospitality. They were rude. Maybe they went into one of the restaurants in that little village, and the man said, no soup for you. (laughs) Well, that's not very nice, right? And James and John, they turned to Jesus and they said, Shall we call down fire from heaven to incinerate these people? And all the text says in Luke 9 is that Jesus rebuked them. (laughs) You sons of thunder. That's not how we roll, okay? But even more to the point when it comes to describing the struggle that we have with putting other people first, there's a poignant illustration, and it's in the upper room when Jesus was doing the Last Supper. And uh, if you look at Luke chapter 22, verses 24 through 27, you read this. I think this will come up on the screen too. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? It is not the one, is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as someone who serves. Now, we need to pause and consider the context of this teaching. This is in the upper room. This is during the Last Supper. And if we compare it with John's account, John chapter 13, something profound had happened at the beginning of their time together in the upper room. They all passed by the towel and the basin as they came into the room with dirty feet, but none of them wanted to assume the role of a servant and no servant was there to perform the task. So Jesus himself girded himself with the towel and began washing the disciples feet you remember that from john chapter 13 and of course peter objects Ah, you're not going to wash my feet and jesus said if i don't wash your feet you will have no part in me and then peter said well then wash my whole body a little extreme you know (laughs) give me a whole bath jesus said we don't need to do that he said i he did he literally said i just need to wash your feet all right lighten up. But this was a profound lesson. Then Jesus puts the towel in the basin aside and he sits down and he talks to them about servant leadership. He talks to them about what it means to be a servant, what it means to take up that towel. The towel itself becomes this powerful metaphor of putting other people first. And then Jesus has the Passover meal with him and then after the meal this is in Luke's account. He gives them this profound communion talk. This, is the, this bread is my body, which is given for you. This cup is my blood, the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, remember it. Remember. And then right after that, it says, and a dispute arose as to which one of them was the greatest. It's like, Really? Are you that clueless? Yes, we are. We struggle with this. Our story is the disciple's story. We struggle to sort out how to put other people first. Even as born-again believers, we struggle. It's not easy because it goes against the flesh. And Paul says that the flesh wages war against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These are in opposition to one another, Paul says in Galatians, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Paul describes this in Romans chapter 7, how we want to do the right thing, but there's another law at work in our bodies. So we just have to acknowledge that as we talk about putting other people first. We do so In imitation of Jesus, it arises out of our born-again nature, but it still is a struggle because it goes against the flesh and all that the flesh stands for. And that leads us to the second reason why putting others above ourselves is an expression of our born-again nature. When we put other people above ourselves, we glorify God. That's what we see in verses 4 through 6. But not in the way you think. Paul does something really cool here. What Paul says is that it is God the Father who gives us the endurance and encouragement we need to have the same attitude toward others as that of Jesus. It's God who puts it in us. It's not something that we muster up. We don't have the capacity, we don't have the personal resources to muster this up. But God gives it to us. This is what the text says, verse 5. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. It's God who gives that to us. The ability to put others above ourselves is not a natural disposition. It's an infused disposition. It's put in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Imitating Jesus is not a matter of pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps. It's a matter of yielding to the influence of the Holy Spirit. That's how we glorify God. See, people are going to take notice because, it, it, and I'm going to make this point a little later in a, hopefully a, a powerful way, but um, when people do extraordinary things for other people, it usually doesn't make people sit up and say, wow, isn't that just such a great person? It inspires something bigger than that. It points to God. This is what what Paul says when it comes to yielding to the influence of the Spirit. Ephesians 5, 15-21 Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. out of reverence for Christ. How does all of that happen? How do we find ourselves in a space where we're able to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ? Paul uses this term, be filled with the Spirit. And in the original language, that's that's couched in in a construction that we find difficult to translate purely. It's a passive imperative. See, I can't, I can't fill myself with the Holy Spirit. I can't make the Holy Spirit fill me, it's not like drinking a glass of water. What happens is I yield myself, I open myself, I submit myself in a way that enables the Holy Spirit to influence me. It means that I'm yielding my own natural dispositions in favor of allowing God to to come and influence me and change me from the inside out. Does that make sense? It's, again, not something we can muster up. It's not something we do by lifting ourselves up by our own bootstraps. The Apostle Paul, uh, again, offers a great commentary even on this in Philippians 2. We looked at the earlier verses in Philippians 2, but looking at verses 12 and 13 of that chapter... Paul says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And now I I italicize this. I don't know, Is, is that coming up? No, okay. All right, well, I italicized it in my notes here. It says, for it is God who works in you To will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose—it It is God. Why do we work out our salvation with fear and trembling? I mean, what's that all about? The fear and trembling comes from the realization that God is in us. God wants to will and to work for His good pleasure. So this idea of putting other people first is not something that arises out of my natural disposition. It's something that arises out of the power of God and God moving in me. When we put others above ourselves, we imitate Jesus. When we put others above ourselves, we glorify God. And there's a final reason why putting others above ourselves is a demonstration of our reborn nature. And it's perhaps the the coolest one. When we put others above ourselves, we facilitate worship. But again, not in the way you think. Now, in one sense, you can, you can say what Paul says here, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. It's for you Greek geeks. But it, it's in order for this to happen, in order. So we put other people first in order to facilitate this praise and glory to God. It's hard to be a worshiping community when there is a prevalence of self-interest, jealousy, and animosity. James talks about this in James 4, 1 through 3. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill, metaphorically. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, You do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. That's self-interest is an impediment to worship. It's an impediment to effective fellowship. It's an impediment to unity. But putting others above ourselves is one of the best witnesses that we can make for God. When we live for others and put others first, people take notice. Jesus said in Matthew 5, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under, the, under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, Jesus says, Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and say what a great person you are. No, that's not what the text says that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. When followers of Jesus Christ are acting in ways that are consistent with their reborn nature, the world sees it, but they don't look at us and say, wow, they're really cool. They look at us and they say, God is amazing. When we put others above ourselves, people notice. I, uh, I was looking for a story that I could use to illustrate this, and uh, I was thinking about uh, a special that I saw. It was on KGW News 8 on the 4th of July. It was People Who Serve. I don't know if you saw that. It was part of the news segment uh, the, on the evening news there, uh, the, our local news. But it had, uh, among other people, a woman who was giving leadership to um, a whole memorial, uh, almost like the Vietnam Memorial, but it was in honor of children, and often adult children, who were murdered. And uh, rather than just roll over and be a victim by that, this mom took it upon herself to create a memorial, a whole a whole system for parents whose children have been murdered and it's it's grown into this huge thing. I, I thought about that and you know uh, or or the end of the news segments on most of the major news networks these days they 'll have a little ditty at the end that shows something that somebody's doing and it's really wonderful and good, and they're serving in an extraordinary way and I, I find myself more often than not getting all teary eyed when I see those things because It it points to the source of all that is good. So when people see those, we could call them random acts of kindness, or when they see people who've systematically given their lives to a greater cause than themselves, it inspires something in us, and it makes us draw to the heart of God, because God is the author of all those things. No good thing that exists in the world exists apart from from the authorship of God. God is the source and giver of all that is good. Whether it's performed by Christians or non-Christians, He's the source of all that is good. Any capacity that any human being has to do any good for anyone else is not of their own making. But I was particularly drawn to what is remembered as one of the greatest moments in sports history. It was April 26, 2008 and there were two schools that you probably wouldn't even know of unless you went to one of them or heard this story. The game was at Gary and Bobby Federick Field in Ellensburg, Washington and it was between the softball teams of Washington, or Western Oregon University and Central Washington University. They were playing for the softball national championship and the Wildcats were down with uh, Western Oregon senior outfielder, Sarah Tokolsky, up to the plate. Sarah was a mediocre hitter at best. She had never distinguished herself as a strong hitter she was um, uh, uh, one of their one of their th- their last choice actually, but she was up to bat and they couldn't sub her out. And the bases were loaded, and and it was it was two nothing, and uh, the bases are loaded, so there're three there are 3 3 runners on the base. Right? Th- yeah. Was it? Did I say two? It's three nothing, and and so the runners on the base. And Sarah swang the first time, missed strike. The second swing landed squarely on the ball and the ball took off right over center field and it just kept going and it sailed right out of the park. And uh so we're talking, you know, a three-run homer, uh, and it was it was so exciting. But Sarah, in her haste, I mean this is new to her, right? She's like freaked out that this is happening. And so she's running toward first base and she's watching the ball, and and just as she rounds first base, she sees the ball clear the fence but she missed the base. She didn't touch first base. And so she looked back and the base coach said, come back, come back. And so at full speed, she twists to come back and tears her ACL and crumbles to the ground between first and second base. And she's in utter agony. And the game screeches to a halt. And the umpires, uh, it was later determined, made a bad call. The, the umpires concluded that nobody from Sarah's team could help her or it would put her out. It would be an automatic out. And, uh, but Sarah couldn't move. She was paralyzed in pain. And so what happened was two players from Central Washington University, uh stepped up, and uh, Mallory Holtman, and then she got uh, junior shortstop Liz Wallace. So uh, Mallory was right there on first base. She was the senior first baseman. So she was standing feet from Sarah and could see what was happening. And she went up to the umpire and she said, what if I got my teammate and we put her on our shoulders and carried her around the bases? Now this, this is a certain loss for this team. They will lose the game if they walk Sarah around the bases, but they did it. They lifted her up on the shoulders. Is that did that come up? Do we have the picture of that, or, or is that just not a thing? Yeah, it's really small. You can't see it, but it's on YouTube. Uh, you you can. There are lots of stories that are written about this, but uh, this was really extraordinary. What they did is they they lifted her up, and they they carried her ever so gently around the bases and they lowered, they bent their knees to lower her so her foot would touch each of the bases. And she walked up, they came all the way around to home. Central Washington University lost that day, but they won. They won a much bigger game. And what happened was this was recognized as the greatest moment in sports history in 2008 these three girls won the ESPY Award, the Excellence in Sports Performance Yearly Award, which is the most prestigious award show. And uh, they brought it home. And the world still remembers it. Uh, I was drawing upon uh, uh, work that was done by uh, one of the columnists for The Observer, uh, the paper for Central Washington University, who wrote a fresh piece on this just back in February. And uh, there's tons of... uh, stuff out there on this, but it, it continues to be remembered as one of the best moments in sports history, bar none. And, uh, and to watch it on YouTube, it's, it's interesting because it's, it was, it's a camcorder that a mom was, was uh, taking, you know, so she zooms in. And you can see everything that happened, but in one sense, it was so unremarkable. It was so subdued. And yet on the other, it was so profound. ESPN picked up on it and pretty soon it was a a world phenomenon. When we do, when we put others above ourselves, the world takes notice and it points to something bigger than ourselves. So my brothers and sisters, today, I call upon all of us to do something that's very unnatural and very strange to the world who doesn't know how to parse this, They might parse serving others as a a key to self-fulfillment or as as a, a malady to be avoided because it reduces us by living according to other people's expectations. Neither of those things is true. Living for others arises out of our reborn nature as followers of Jesus Christ, as we imitate Christ, glorify God, and call the world to a new way of seeing God and worshiping him. So as a community of faith, I call upon all of us to go and do likewise. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your word. We acknowledge, Lord, that some of the things in your word are hard. And we confess that putting others above ourselves is hard. But it is what Jesus did for us and what he calls us to do for one another. And we want to glorify you, Father. And we want to call the world to love you and glorify you and come to faith in you through Jesus Christ. So help us be faithful witnesses in this good work. Help us to put others above ourselves as Jesus did for us. We pray in his name. Amen.